Welcome to Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and welcome to Three Interventions for Treating Anxiety, Strategic and Cognitive Approaches for Worry-Driven Anxiety. So a client, Sheila, came to see me because she couldn't seem to stop the obsessive thought that her co-workers and friends and even complete strangers on the street were judging her walk, her clothing, laugh, and, you know, well, everything about her. And the weird thing, Mark, she said, is that I know logically that's probably unlikely, but I still feel as if that's the case. And I, I just like, uh, I just feel like a freak that I can't stop feeling so self-conscious all, all the time. When we worry about worrying. Now, you may have noticed that your anxiety clients often actually have two problems. Firstly, they have the emotional problem they came to see you about. And then secondly, they have the worry about having that problem. But the fact is, emotional disturbances are, of course, entirely normal. For instance, I gently uh, reminded Sheila that some self-consciousness is actually essential to human interaction and empathy. It means we have the uh, capacity to enter the minds of other people and imagine how they might feel and think. Self-consciousness, I suggested, is the marker that shows we can um, exercise human understanding of other people. And it only becomes a problem when it starts to happen more than needed and out of context. And I want, went on to you know, uh, admit that I occasionally feel a, a bit self-conscious myself. So for Sheila, the idea that self-consciousness might be um, something that most people feel from time to time, not necessarily always a bad thing, and um, in, in its place a, form, a way of forming empathy, was extremely comforting. We want clients to feel normal because they are normal. You know, anything that a human being uh, does experience is by definition part of what a human being can experience and therefore normal. Sometimes a large part of your therapy consists of helping your client overcome the feeling like a freak effect that affects so many lives. Three interventions for treating anxiety. So firstly, remember that normalizing is not minimizing no one likes to feel that something that is seriously troubling them and affecting their life uh, has been brushed aside as irrelevant or dismissed as just run of the mill. So that's not what I'm talking about here. Helping a client feel normal um, about their anxiety isn't about downplaying the intensity of the effect of their anxiety on their lives. Okay, you know we're not just saying, "Oh, don't worry, everyone feels like that." This will only make them feel uh, that you don't really understand their experience or you can't appreciate it. We need to let our clients know that we not only know, but also understand or can imagine how bad it seems to them, such as when I revealed to Sheila that I too experience self-consciousness sometimes. Now, you don't need to falsely claim you suffer from the same uh, issue or reveal personal details about yourself if you're not comfortable doing so, but um, it can be an effective way to help uh, the client not feel like a freak so much. But you can feedback common symptoms of the issue to show that you understand it, that it's an understandable phenomenon. For example, discussing the morning exhaustion and overdreaming experience during depression. Many depressed clients um, have a sort of light bulb moment when you do that. And until we've demonstrated this understanding, any mollifying comment or interpretation we offer will just seem patronizing. So really showing that we understand 
the condition from the inside. So spend time listening and sympathizing before you attempt to frame the problem as non-freakish, which of course it is. Two, put the problem in context. So if we can identify the problem as part of a familiar, even common pattern, rather than some shameful one-off weirdness, then our client gets a chance to see that they're not freakish and that their problem means they're human, not crazy. For example, um, a client called Clarice told me she thought she was crazy for suffering emetophobia, fear of vomiting, and she was very ashamed of that. And I spent some of the session talking about emetophobia in general, how other people experience it, how surprisingly common it is, how, uh, how it normally develops, and how many clients I, I've treated for it, and so on. And I discussed other cases um, that have been successfully treated. So this allowed me to indirectly demonstrate that fear of vomiting is part of a general human condition, rather than a one-off freak aberration unique to her. And that was very reassuring for her. Three, identify the function of the problem. Every human psychological problem can be viewed as functional and adaptive in a particular context or to some degree. So what, do, what does this mean? Well, consider this, you know, checking things once or twice and even thrice is pretty useful when it really matters, such as that child's car safety belt, for example, compulsively gathering food for winter, is an example of obsessive behavior that's vital for survival, or can be. Worrying is useful sometimes if it makes us more careful. You know, we had to learn to worry that there might be tigers outside the cave so we had to do a lot of checking. We need to be addicted to learning and helping ourselves and others in life if we're to make progress. We need to use the imagination as an inventive tool in context. Imagination only becomes a problem when it's uncontrolled, as in psychosis, or misused, as with jealousy or paranoia or chronic worrying. We can view psychological problems as attempted solutions that can, ironically, cause problems in themselves. This neatly contextualizes even the weirdest of problems. So, obsessive washing could be an ineffective attempt to help a person feel secure and safe. It doesn't really work. Terrible jealousy could be an ineffective, sloppy way of trying to feel loved or secure in your relationship. Of course, it does the opposite. Uh, depression is an attempt at shutting down energy for a while until circumstances improve. Panic attacks are a way of erring on the side of caution by responding as if lots of things are much more threatening than they really are. By discussing problems in context and looking at them as a, an attempt by the unconscious mind to address an important need, we can help normalize otherwise baffling experiences. You know, you're not ill, you're just human. I might, for example, say to a man experiencing impotence that erections are supposed to disappear during times of anxiety and stress. And this is because stress is a danger signal, and when we're in danger, our energies get diverted away from all non-essential activities, such as sex. You don't need to be having sex if you're fighting off a bear. So for every individual who feels uniquely weird or mad or nuts or crazy, there are thousands, perhaps millions of others feeling and thinking that they too are the only one who's crazy in that way. But they never are. And helping our clients feel less alone can move us a long way towards their recovery. So I hope you found that useful. I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and if you'd like to subscribe to my email newsletter, you can find it over at unk, that's unk.com, slash blog. 